why you th- why you just kidding. why are you doing this right now? You're starting off on a I, bad. Note. I did rearrange my. Well, I ha- well, I was forced to rearrange a lot of schedule this week, so this was actually very good. Yeah, I think it's good for everybody. I know. Where yeah. it feels a little bit back to our normal pattern, which for like a month it has been disrupted. Monday nights at 10 p.m. Ah, yeah. Monday no, night football. I, I feel like it's a lot later than it is, though, because I've gotten used to now, like starting recording the podcast at 10 at night. Oh, well, get ready. Daylight savings time is coming coming around the corner. I'm real very fast. excited. March 12th. Yeah, I believe real fast. Yeah. By the way, speaking of times and waking up and stuff, Uh have you just been absolutely crushing coffee like a maniac? I have no idea. Are you aware that you're doing this? No. Because you are. Oh, oops. Because, you know, I I like to. I have like one in the morning. Well, I wonder if that's true. And also, I wonder what the size of that one is because. My green cup. You know, I make a pot of coffee. I try not to do this every night because it's not necessary. But lately, I've been making a pot of coffee every night. Uh, in preparation for the next day. The first time I noticed this, I made the full pot of coffee and I forgot to put it in the fridge. And when I got up in the morning, you had already left for work. Mm-hmm. And there was only, of the of the 12 cup maker, there was only four left. I think it which only, was I think if you put in 12 cups of water, only 10 cups come out. Th- that is correct. That's a fair point. Yeah. That's enough. But the point still stands that this pot of coffee was more than half gone. Oh. And, and I yeah. thought, okay, he's been working a lot. It's been a tough day. Yeah, I drank the remainder of that because mm-hmm. that's really only two mugs. You know, yeah. you know, it's about two cups two per mug. Mugs, and this yeah. is weak drip coffee, by the way. I have guys. like We're one not... I have one mug with three ice cubes during shower time. Oh, you have a shower coffee? Yeah. Whoa, okay. That that explains it's a, a lot. A sh- it's you know, a shower shitter coffee. You gotta sit there, smoke and have a coffee and wow, make yeah. sure everything's going. Shit shower and shave. You would do well in the military. Sneaking not, your not coffee that, into that the shaving shower. Portion. No, no, mm. no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so But I usually don't finish it, so I pour the half of that into the green cup and then fill top off the green cup. With a little water, just because. Did you notice I did buy the low acid coffee? Cause I did I'm a, see that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Nancy boy who has an upset tummy. Yeah, you have all sorts of tummy problems now. And by the way, I'm not criticizing you for this. I'm mm. just genuinely curious because we just flew through. Do you know so much coffee? What day of work it is for me right now? I have no idea. Mm. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Tomorrow will be another one, and then the next day. So we're we're almost we're almost there. I'm crossing that finish line, you know. Hey, look, man, I get it. I know I know you're a busy. Papa's guy. dying. I'm just saying, you know, I had a three day weekend this weekend, so mm, uh, nice. President's Day yeah. and all that. But so I was a little more attentive to the to the coffee because. Oh. No, because I was I was just filling the the one uh, travel mug. That's twenty ounces, though. All right, I'm just saying it's been disappearing at a, at a rate that's pretty incredible. It's like oh. not even making it to the pitcher in the. Yeah, that's fridge. I, I like the kind of weird room temperature one because then when you add the ice, it gets that really good, like, I'm not quite cold, but I'm lightly chilled. That is nice. And I'm like, ooh, baby. I do agree. Fuck I don't me mind up. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you give it a little swirl in a metallic tumbler, it's kind of like a martini shaker. It gets colder mm-hmm. when you're like, ooh, I want a little refresher. Yeah, there's something about the flavor of it that's slightly better when it hasn't been iced all night. Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. Anyway, yeah. this is boring about mm-hmm. the coffee, yeah. but I was just curious because I was like, "Man, this is this is getting slammed." Yeah, Papa's going through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, when are you not? You know, mm. I mean, much like talking about Jasper Johns, I think we could fill several gigabytes of, of intros to episodes where Will talks about how he's on his eighth day at work. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I was literally going to snap a neck if I didn't. I was like, "Hi, please let me open so I can go to the gym to my." employee i said i i know you're supposed to i know i know you're supposed to i know i was so nice however if you don't let me fucking leave here at five o'clock i'm throwing someone over the balcony and i don't know who it's gonna be hmm. okay i'm gonna have a rage fit and someone's going over yeah might be me but it might be one <laughs> of you it might be a random stranger i don't know someone's going over okay oh man there's an iconic scene from deep space nine where a monk hangs himself off the uh second story in the like atrium of the space station, I got a lot of spare uh, shoelaces in my place of business. I, I'd be swinging <laughs> yeah. from those fucking rafters down to the basement. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, hey, if Epstein can do it from a bunk with like a prison uniform, I'm I got a sure lot of shit to. I got a lot of shit to fly off there. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. But I was like, if you don't want me to rage, you gotta let me do it. I'll buy you lunch. So I, that was my agreement. I was like, I'll buy you lunch, whatever you want. Wow. You know, it's a sad state of affairs when the manager has to purchase things for employees in order to have like a baseline quality a of life, life that yeah. the rest mm-hmm. of us take for granted. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
I can't really talk about work on the podcast anyway. Maybe I'll talk about it on the after show. Mm. But I got a proverbial reprieve from the governor for this week that just made me very happy. Mm. Because, you know, even though it's a holiday, the emails are still flying. Oh, of course. You know, the art world never sleeps. Mm. Everybody's back from L.A. now. Oh, yeah, yeah. They so, just got back. Everyone's right. fired up. But a Felix. Real, a real nice was thing there a, happened. Was there a freeze? Uh, yeah. Oh. They did it at the no Santa one... Monica Airport this oh, year rather than boy. the Paramount lot, which is way cooler. Way cooler? What yeah. the fuck is Santa Monica? Who wants to drive to fucking Santa Monica? I don't know. Apparently, one of the hangars in Santa Monica is a like permanent Oh, is it the Barker hangar? Venue for stuff like this. I think it's the Barker I'm hangar. I'm not aware of it. But yeah, like you said, who wants to go to Santa Monica? I mean, Jesus Christ. Fucking Christ. It's hard it's enough. 45 minutes to get there. Yeah, to get down to Hollywood. but Jesus. Yeah. Anyway. Act like we live there. I know. I feel like I've been there enough times where I actually do kind of have the lay of the land in a way that I didn't used to. Yeah. So speaking it is of, what it is. Yeah. Speaking of places that we don't live that we know too well, I have to, I'm have to going to Philadelphia for two days at the end of the week. Oh, so, why are you doing that? Nice. Well, for for significant other stuff. Yeah. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. He wanted yeah. to go. He wanted to go at some point, and I was like, I'm drunk on Super Bowl. You want to go? Okay. Booked. He's like, oh, wait. Cool. Oh, you actually hit hit purchase, and I said. Yes, you what are you guys getting a hotel room down there? He wants uh, his birthday and a friend of his his birthday around the same time, and he canceled an Italy trip uh, with her. Um, so he's like, "Can we? Go, can I, I want to go visit?" I'm like, "I'll pay for it. I'm gonna go." Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a nice thing to do for somebody's birthday. All around, that'll be a nice trip. But you didn't that's answer fine. my question. You're getting a hotel room, I assume. Oh yeah. yeah Where yeah. at Center City somewhere? Rittenhouse somewhere. Yeah. Oh, cool. No, that'll be fun, dude. Come on. I mean, it's fine. You know, uh, uh, the real goal is we're going to a conveyor belt sushi place. Oh, that sounds cool. It's apparently bad. There is a review in Eater, the one in Fort Lee, not good. Oh, but what is in Fort Lee? Who knows? I just watched a YouTube video uh, by Abroad in Japan, one of my favorite popular okay. YouTube channels about an Englishman who lives in Japan permanently mm-hmm. as an expat. But you know, he's a big time YouTuber, so he got some kind of like endorsement deal from the largest uh, conveyor belt sushi chain. Oh, Kura. Yes, yeah, that that's was where what we're going. It was. And they um, did a top 10 thing where he and his friend ordered things off the menu and tried to fill in the list of top 10 oh. most ordered items blindly. Oh. So they each would order something and try to get something out of the top 10. Man, Japanese people's taste in this shit is very different. Yeah. From Western taste. You know, he was he was doing all the hits. He's like, oh, come on, like the Otoro, the Fatty Tuna. That's got to be on there. Yeah, Definitely no, not. No, no, no. It was all weird shit. And the guy he was with was an actual Japanese guy who was like, no, I know our taste. And he would order really strange shit like salmon with like cheese on it. Not like a Philly roll, but like there was one that was like mozzarella and basil on like salmon. A caprese salmon? It was like the an fuck? Italian hand roll. Uh-uh. And that was like one of the most popular no, items in Japan. I was like, what Get the fuck? Get fucking wrecked. You know? No. Yeah. Ugh, really God. weird. I have a lot to say about sushi, though, because, you know, I had my experience at Sushi by M mm-hmm. over the weekend. It was fucking amazing, dude. This is, you know, I mentioned this to you off mic. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but I selected this one as a belated Valentine's uh, meal to do with the lady friend because. The, oh, no, you said it on pod. The fusion Depending on your... gimmick is a little more, um, I think, up her alley. Oh, and, you know, something more, like, austere. Not that you wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. It's just maybe, you know, maybe take somebody else. Because I, I like the idea, if I'm going to do these dinners, like, once or twice a year. You know, ball hard, yeah. Ball hard, like, trying to tailor them. But how was your call or your put that paid for it or didn't? Oh, I lost all my money on that. I lost Stupid 500 bitch. and something dollars on that. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, that expired worthless. Um, okay. It was well. actually, you know, a butterfly debit spread. Not a big deal, but... No, I, I can. I completely. I completely got the call. You botched wrong. that. Yeah. The market did not move in my re- direction even remotely. In fact, the S and P five hundred went up. Basically, been flying. I bought that at the bottom, basically, which in, in put terms sucks. If yeah. I had made a, if I had done a call, debits red. Fuck, I'd be rolling in it right now. Mm. But nope, expired completely worthless. But well, that's that's the chance you take. You know, that's that's leveraged betting. You know, it was worth the potential Do you potential want some scratchers? Tenets. I feel like you could just do well with scratchers. No, like I said before, I like I like doing this because I get to do like a lot of amateur research. And you know how much I love amateur research. Yeah, you can amateur research, you know, which part of the role they're on and know if you got a winner on your hands. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, no, I'm not interested. Like the, the thrill of it comes in watching it disappear slowly. <sighs> I'm more of a masochist in that respect, I guess, but... 
Anyway, back to the sushi. Uh huh. Sushi by M. Yeah. The whole gimmick there is that it's you know it's very high quality, it's very well done, pretty expensive stuff, um, but it's very decadent. No. Oh. So you mm. know, course number one is a high quality oyster. I forget from which region. Probably Japanese one actually. Mm. Um, with uh, akura in it, so the salmon roe in an oyster. That was fucking delicious and a hell of a way to start. So it's all things like this. There's usually so it's gluttony, but light. Gluttony. Yeah, light, yeah. light gluttony, and you know it's actually paced pretty well as a meal as far as the omakase goes because they do also sprinkle in like more classic things that don't have adornment. You know, so there's of course like a king salmon nigiri that's just a straightforward oh, yeah. you know thing. E- even some of the other ones that are decadent are only slightly so. So for example, the chutoro medium fatty tuna mm. comes with a little bit of shaved truffle on top too much it's not too much though because they you know they portion it or rather they balance it like the bite correctly but later in the meal when you get to the really decadent stuff that's the stuff i thought would be a turn off to you although it's incredibly delicious for example wagyu beef uni fagua oh marron as a single nigiri mm, so maybe good. too much it's it is too much, but it's too much. But it's well done too much, you know. And and again, it's like well composed, mm-hmm. even though it's three incredibly decadent things. But that's the whole. Uh, that was the whole rub of it, and oh. it was quite a delicious experience. I have hmm. to say, I really enjoyed it. My biggest criticism, though, is I would say that restaurant is too brightly lit. Oh fuck that! I don't know why they do that. Huh? Um, but it looks a little for cheap. Instagram. But I think it is exactly that for Instagram. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I ordered. We ordered at the end. I wanted to get the add-ons because you know their calling card are these um, nigiri named after McDonald's menu items that are like no extra decadent. No. So I had to get the QPC, of course. Oh boy. Okay. Which is like um, it's like shredded up salmon with uni and gold leaf. No one wants to shit gold and then leaf. It's on like an edible um an edible mock bun that's like a rice cracker pretty I crazy like this. I don't, but it's no. shaped like a burger and then the and then i had a well there's actually a story behind this but then re got the big mac which is uh wagyu beef uni and fatty tuna mm. Mm. and that one's a little smaller and yeah, easier to eat that seems a little it's just more like manageable a hand roll. Yeah. yeah it was really it looked really good but the thing was that's the signature one the big mac is like what this place is famous for oh. and at the end, of course, like I order both things, and the chef's like, "Well, w- what's for who?" And I said, "Well, like dealer's choice. You have to pick because Ree and I couldn't decide amongst each other like, oh. which one you know we want." And then, so in clever Japanese fashion, he makes the Big Mac and he hands it off to me, and he goes, "Am I making the right choice?" And like kind of winks, and I was like, "Obviously not. Like you have to give Bay the signature oh. thing." And he said, "Good work," and you know, gave it to her instead. Mm. Um. Yeah, it was also a little uncomfortable because everybody's like kind of looking at you. Why? Because not every, everybody finishes. You, you're sitting next to people that order the same omakase as you do so right. that they can serve like multiple parties at the same time. But yeah. not everybody is doing that. Goes fat ass at the end and, oh, and orders why? extra stuff. The whole I don't point know, is to do that. Yeah, I don't know why you would miss out Stupid on Stupid bitches. Maybe, I'm, you know what? I, I get this sense from sugarfish experiences in the past and this one that a lot of people that go to these things are just rich people that eat this like normally. Oh, I guess. So they don't like think about it. As, like a, as a special yeah. thing yeah. that they're doing. Because I'm not eating, like, because it's not that high end, you know? It's right. expensive for me. But, yeah. you know, if you're living, you know, if you're living in Greenwich Village on mommy and daddy's money, you're like, you're whatever. spending yeah. three or $400 for dinner kind of a lot, probably. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think they really think about it like that. But anyway, yeah, it was quite good. I can highly recommend it. It was, it was the highest quality sushi I've ever had, mm. for sure. But the, you know the gimmick, the gimmick parts of it take away like from the, kinda, the yeah. classicness of the experience. But that's not a bad thing in my book. It's just decadent. Mm. I got a shout out Ozakaya on Vanderbilt because hmm. you know when you're dealing with two non-planner people, ooh baby, just go fuck. We gotta eat. Did you make it? I tried and it was fucking rough. Oh, I was gonna and then I didn't. Oh fuck. All right, so let's just go early. Kick in the door and just batter pretty little eyes and be like, hi, we're dumb. We forgot. Can we eat? And of course, they're like, here's your V-Day menu. And we're like, no. Um, But that place, ooh, this like skate thing 
absolutely beautiful. This is a sushi place. Yeah, I'm yeah, assuming. yeah. Uh, it's so good. Did you get omakase or what? What no, style they don't did ha- you get? They had like specials of like, yeah, we're gonna serve. I was like, fuck that. No, it's bad and it's overpriced, and you know that that's what they're doing. You know, um, fully thought like we're just like, are we spending two hundred dollars? Whole bill was on sub hundo and was wow, absolutely amazing. That's great. A, yeah, a spicy scallop in this little boat, and they come on chairs. Ooh, like really, just like fan fucking tastic, like presentation of everything yeah and then finish with this like meat bowl with rice and shit i was like this is great oh man oh you know that reminds me some of some of the um more understated items we got the big omakase menu when we went there's a 12 piece one and a 17 piece one 17 and of course you have to get the 17 piece one um but some of the more understated things that were like the you know the second act of the of the presentation were scallop and sea urchin and shrimp based things that i had never had sideways um, obviously, uh, everybody has had, well, anybody that's into sushi has had uni, um, yeah. and that's an element of a lot of it, but they, they had one that was essentially like shrimp veal. So it was like, oh, when it's like almost a ceviche. Yes. So Delicious. it was like a young shrimp, mm. but it had the consistency more of like a scallop. It was almost yeah, like, it's like a jelly. Yeah, it's like mealy. It was yeah. so fucking good. Yeah. And then there was another one very similar that was like, you know, very, very tender scallop nigiri. Amazing stuff. I mean, this place served fried oysters and we were like, fuck yeah. Oh, that. yeah. You got to have that. That was delicious. Um, but like, I just think of it as like, you know. The idea of like, oh, you want to do sushi club, bitch? Let's go. Like, this seems easy and doable and not like fucking crazy. Yeah. In the same way that like trad room is like that. Where yeah. You're just like, yeah. But it's not like American shitting rolls. They're like, oh, no, our nigiri is or our sushi, whatever the fuck, the normal rice thing, fish on top. Yeah. Nigiri. Quality. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always interested in a find like that because more and more, I just can't really hack takeout sushi. I just don't even really want it usually. Sometimes it scratches an itch. It's like any old thing, but it's like not doing it for me anymore. So yeah, any kind of restaurant that's like you can get away for under a hundred dollars. I mean, because I love a fun hand roll. Of course. Yeah. We didn't drink either. I I just had tea. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I drank way too much that night. We got I saw the picture. A bottle of sake. I saw the picture. You were, which was Tarantino. amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually, you know, I have to relent and just allow whatever post to get made. But I was actually like, I don't like that one. Yeah, because you. I had a red face, and it was like the lighting of that restaurant was brutal. Cross-eyed. Me. Yeah. yeah. Cross-eyed. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, that wasn't. I mean, that was just the beginning. I mean, we went to a cocktail bar before <laughs> that. That was actually really good. Um, I forget mm-hmm. what it was called. Lovers something by Tompkins by Tompkins Square Park. It was a very dark Easy bar. Lover? No. You sure? I can't remember. It's called Lovers something, but mm-hmm. it has a heart outside of it. It doesn't have the name like posted on the outside Whatever. of the bar. Yeah. But you go kind of down underground. And it's a very small place. Very, very dark. It was like the darkest bar I've been in in a long time. Oh, did you feel old? And you're it, like, I got to turn on my flashlight on my camera. Uh, Well, it was so dark that you couldn't even like take pictures in there. Which I think might be intentional. It's intentional, yeah. Just so nobody's like just on their phone the whole time. Yeah, it's great. Um, but we had nice cocktails there. Had the entire bottle of sake, and then met up with another friend at Marcos and had like seven more drinks. So that was a bit much. I can't do. I'm so old. God. No, I can't really do it either. To tell you the I'm truth, so old. You know, in, in spite of my long weekend that I thought would be like really productive and rejuvenating, it was sort of productive. But man, I just because of circumstances i didn't get any rest at all i'm tired as hell Mm. going into the work week yeah i met up with praz last night Mm. had a couple drinks with him and now we're doing this so no one's no one's got a gun to your head no 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 i know i'm gonna i'm gonna take it easy for sure but i'm just saying you know yeah after my super bowl experience i'm like i'm good i think i think i can only have wine and only in moderation. Mm. Because let me tell you a little story about Gabar cocktails. Especially like, you know, if like the bartender isn't feeling good or feeling whatever, I don't know. Um, those shits are strong and uh, they sneak up on you and you go, fuck, I'm drunk. I thought we were only going up for three. And you're like, oh, the th- like I had, th- you know, when you go out on a Thursday and you have two gin and tonics and then a bunch of Narragansetts, you're like, what was in the gin and tonic? What was in the... 
just mostly gin. I didn't taste it. What the fuck? And then you're like, woo, at 11.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the problem always comes after drink three. That's just a problem in general. Or is beer like sneaking up on me in my old age? I feel like that's also a fair possibility where it's like, hmm, you think you're not getting drunk, you stupid idiot. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right about that. Because la- last night, for example, I was I felt pretty level-headed the whole time. I only had like maybe four or five beers That's over the course of yeah. like hours, three, yeah. four hours. Yeah, not that, not that crazy, but a lot. And I didn't feel fucking anything from that. Partly because right. I'd had so much to drink the night before. I just think your blood alcohol is like still at your body some is kind like, hey, thanks for that. We are not feeling so bad now. But then I came home and I had two more on my own. You had three more. I had three more. Okay, That's how many cans so, I counted. Well, so there you go. I had three more mm. on my own. And by the time I went to bed, I was like dipping Trader Joe's Takis in sour cream. Honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a great treat. And eating that for dinner. And I was like, oh, oh no, 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 no. This bad is to do. not good. Very bad to do. Man, I woke up this morning and I had sour cream remnant all over my Kirkland hoodie. And I didn't discover it. Well, here's the thing. I did discover it before I walked out the door. But I just went full slob, and I was like, I'm going to Trader Joe's like this. I don't care. And I just walked around with, like, jizzy stains all over my Kirkland. I was going to say, that, like, sour cream hardens. Yeah. I got it off later, but I was just like, whatever. I don't care. You know, all the yoga moms are going to just have to deal with it. I mean, have There's you... There's a pour in their midst, and I'm a slob, and I, I mean, don't that care. place is, again, who cares? Seven circle of hell at this point. Like, I don't know. Um, they were out of paper towels today. I was like, you're out of paper oh. towels? That seems like Just remind me. an I item you would have a million of. I keep, I keep forgetting. I thought last time I did a Target order, I was like, I don't think I need them. And then I was like, oops, none left. Um, well, no, I'm happy to pick them up. I I'm just forget. saying it's regrettable because we're fresh out and then they're fresh out. And I actually set aside, I had an extra roll at my studio. I was like, I'll bring this home as a stopgap. Oh, okay. And then I forgot. No, so sure. That's what bodegas are for. Yeah, I don't have any cash though, and I'm not trying to take out twenty and pay two twenty five on you that. You buy a like nice water or something. I don't like to make extra purchases when I only need one thing. Fuck it's called financial responsibility. Where do you think I get I all the money for my debit spreads from? I don't. Well, mm, see, I gamble low level. I say, give me the Aquapana, and you know what? Toss a little baby Celty on there for me, and uh, let's let's get some of those baby Tawis for a uh, dollar a piece. Thank you. In what sense that's gambling? I'm not really sure, but well, I think it's just financial irresponsibility. I don't know what to tell you. You like to gamble with your guts. What? You know, every once in a while, you gotta you gotta drink the high acid coffee or get real ice cream. No, 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 no. I can't have the real ice cream because I am not trying to like you know strip the paint off the walls of the bathroom. Okay. I can't do it. It hurts and it's painful. No, 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 thank you. Boy, yeah. Can't do it. I don't like all these limitations. I'm glad I don't have them yet, although I know I will get them. I always had it. Yeah. I learned that very young. I was like, mm. why does my tummy no, no feel good? I'm like, well, you had real dairy. Maybe it's the like uncooked egg or something with real ice cream, like if it's a custardy thing. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Don't want to talk about it. All right. We're not we're not going to figure that out today. I'm what not... do you want to talk about in this episode? I'm really truly coming in with no agenda. I oh. wanted to talk about Sushi by M, and that's pretty much all I've got. Oh. So I'm relying on you to kind of carry this one. <laughs> Me, the person who's been trapped indoors for... Uh, you know, I've been going on some rants and raves for the last couple episodes, but I'm out of gas, man. Uh-oh. Uh, hold on. I mean, I did see this fun, this really fun little meme that... I don't know if I posted to the stories of Green and Lewis, but it's very funny. There, so it's the it's the swimming meme of the children crying about the UFOs and then shooting something down, and then the skeleton in the bottom of the sea is the gas leak in Ohio. Very funny. Yeah, yeah, the big rail disaster. You know, I mentioned it just keeps getting worse because another one happened. But you know, and I know I mentioned this to you when we were talking about this on the couch briefly the other night. But it's weird to me that everyone keeps saying that the the train derailment isn't being talked about. Oh yeah. When it's like the only thing I think anyone's talking about. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> News wise, you know, it's the UFOs yeah. and it's that, and I'm like, oh, I don't we got to talk about Jimmy Carter. A oh, little. he's in hospice care now. Oh, he go- I mean, yeah, they were. They kept showing videos of him with a black eye and a patch over his forehead. And Ooh, I was like, really? I was like, my guy. He, I didn't see. I think any he's images just been falling down. Well, he was born in 1924, man. He's nearly 100 years old. So. Really? Yeah, he's not oh, looked shit. good for 25 I, years. Yeah, like, true. but he was still like, they still had him like 
screwing in something at a ha- at a habitat installation and i was like put grandpa to bed what are you doing oh yeah i mean i think get him he- off a live construction site he's gonna die on site i think he's been to almost every inauguration of a new president since he was president yeah like including biden i'm pretty sure he was there he might yeah. not have been though mm. although i don't know yeah he's they probably wheeled him in for for uh you know what do they call a 90 year old not an octogenarian but a whatever that would be a nonagerian yeah um yeah he seemed like he'd been up and about and he was doing pretty well but you know i don't know things go downhill fast when you're nearly 100 years old i mean shit but it'll be interesting you know we'll hear a lot about the life of jimmy carter once he kicks it you know and then they'll you know there'll be articles all over the place and because people have been talking about carter anyway because biden is reminiscent of this oh do nothing and fuck all yeah just in terms of being like a in terms of being a democrat probably one-term president that everybody hates Oh, well. You know, and being basically like feckless and like not addressing oh, the is it national like a torch? Malaise. Oh, is this going to be the torch passing? What do you what do you mean by that? Carter will die. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously Biden will have to be like we're not we're not giving our sons jobs in Ukraine anymore. Cracker Jack, uh, no. you know, like whatever. Well, you know, I, this is not this is not my take, so I'll give her credit. But I was listening to Breaking Points today, as I usually do, and mm. Crystal Ball had a really uh, interesting wildest name. It, that's the that's the name of a stripper. It is. I mean, that's how you know you can't trust that family. They make very poor decisions if they're doing that. Yeah. Anyway, she had a great take on this though that I thought was really thought provoking and original that I hadn't heard anywhere else. Who knows if she just amalgamated it from smarter sources, but. I'm hearing it from her. Mm-hmm. It was that um, everybody compares Biden and Carter because, the, you know, the similarities are there. The You know, the late 70s, you know, spiking crime rates, uh, bad, peculiar economic conditions, you know, increasing like distrust of media and the government because of Vietnam. All of those things are paralleled today with, you know, distrust of things because of covid endless wars. Everyone knows yeah. the story. But the difference is, is that Carter was like the first neoliberal president. So he was kind of an awkward one-term transitionary guy because it was the end of the New Deal consensus and uh, like going into yeah. the new reality of like basically libertarian think tanks running the show. Greed is good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the difference with Biden is that he's probably a similar thing in terms of transition, but he, rather than being the beginning of a new era, he's the end of the neoliberal era. And if only whatever comes, whatever comes next, you know, well, this is not a process that will take place cleanly in terms of the next president represents a break or whatever. Right, I mean, yeah. Trump was already a break. Well, yeah, not in policy, just to, if not in tone, you know, just but, tone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of actually the, exactly the right idea that like, you know, Biden is just this like corpse of like a, of a dying package whose failures back to the train derailment and all of this other stuff are just like manifest and obvious and something will need to happen, you know, big picture. Well, yeah. Over time to get us, to get us to a new place. Anything new, anything at all new. Yeah. Good God. I mean, um, it's a, it was just a, what was it? What was the, there was an auction of like, uh, Andre Leontali's uh, estate. Who that? He was, you know, you know Vogue, the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know Anna Wintour. Yeah. He was like the number two, or technically the number three. You know, it's funny speaking giant of presidents. Black man with war capes. Uh, might know who that is. I mean, I only really know about An- Anna Wintour because Trump would complain about her so much. Why? I think otherwise I wouldn't really oh be aware God. of it because he's a he's basically like a you know. You never saw a Devil a Wears Prada? A socialite queen, you know? You never saw Devil Wears Prada? No. Excuse me? No. You don't know the speech about Cerulean Blue? No. It's the most famous speech about color in the last 20 years. Hmm. Okay. Okay, picture it. I gotta do this. I, this is gonna kill me if I don't do it. Okay. So the scene is Anne Hathaway is doing her Anne Hathaway. I'm schlobby, and you're like, bitch, you're fucking hot. Also, by the way, we gotta talk about like pictures of Anne Hathaway just like with her buccal fat re- removal just looking sexy um apparently to people i don't know i don't know i don't, I don't get it um so picture it. she's wearing like a cable knit sweater that's like you know j crew adjacent i could clock it as the cambridge sweater mm-hmm. um so she's like bring me about you know meryl as 
the Anna Wintour stand and is like, someone bring me a belt for this. I think I think we need a belt. Which one do we think is better? And she, the, the assistant holds up two belts that are basically the same. They're two shades of cerulean off by a little, right? Uh, one's got a garish buckle and one's a little more understated. And then she goes, hmm. Anne Hathaway, which color do you think? She's like, I don't know. It's just a blue belt. She's like, just a blue belt? Let me tell you something about the color blue. There was an exhibition at blah, 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 blah. And then Galeon, blah, 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 blah. I don't remember that part. And then that blue trickled down into whatever fashion bug bin you fished that sweater out on sale. And it represents all of the social currency and dollars spent in this very room. And then she, like, walks away with her tail in between her. Like, I fucked up. And he's like, yeah, you stupid bitch. You're at a fashion magazine and you think you know better. Wearing a cable and sweater like a dumbass. Yeah. That you spilled soup on. Okay, I mean, you know you know what's funny about that is that is the devil worse? Is that whole thing supposed to be, like, an ironic takedown of people like that? Or is it an earnest endorsement of the Anna Wintour types? Uh, it was supposed, supposed to be, supposed like, to... it was supposed to be an expose of, like, she's such a bitch. I know that, but in other words, is it supposed to portray these people as people with a deep and rich knowledge of a much maligned subject, i.e. fashion? A little bit, yeah. And that y- you should actually respect them even though they're like bad people because they're, they're knowledgeable in all of these like uh, secret ways that the rest of us don't have access to? Or is the message that like Anne Hathaway in her like naivete and like uh, m- midwit status the the more admirable one and the people that she's surrounded by should be viewed as villains and superficial well a little well it's posited that way at first and then you know growth happens because storylines sure but Um, growth happens for who is what i'm asking uh anne hathaway she's like i wanted to be this way and then she like becomes the main assistant or whatever she goes to paris and then she's like the end thing is everyone wants to live like us anne hathaway and she's like i don't think so and then she goes back to her boyfriend who's like a chef or whatever Mm -hmm. her boyfriend is adrian brody looking like a snack oh so you know you're like girl go back to go back to your man and you're like one bedroom apartment you know in alphabet city that somehow you both afford yeah i don't get that wait so can you return to the point about About who's the other guy that you were talking about not anna wintour but andrew leon uh, Andre Andre Leontali. Yeah, so that's where there this was a, there was a giant um, what's it called auction of his stuff. Yeah, is he uh, dead? Yeah, he just died. Oh, a lot of dead. Um, but you know, you know, it's a weird sign in culture when like the biggest auction that anyone is talking about is like a dead guy, a dead fashion editor's like stuff that he's collected. Like we're not talking. You know, this is almost the season to start talking art auction stuff. Felix is happening. Uh, what's it called? Freeze is happening. Like we're getting into the season, and because you know, three, seven, six weeks, it'll be armory time. I guess. Does anybody care about that anymore? No, but no like, one does that show? Really? Yeah, I, I feel guess, like armory yeah. is just a thing for like old master collectors, which there's not a lot of, and mm-hmm. then like secondhand modern art. Galleries you've yeah. never heard of, like nobody right. really participates th- in that anymore. Oh, I, good. But but that's a minor point. I yeah. mean, I, the thing that's confusing to me is like I don't it, even. It, it just reminds me of like you know like the what's it called that show at uh, the Mugler show at the Brooklyn Museum, the sneaker, uh, the Mugatu show. It might as well be at this point. <laughs> shit, um, like everything in culture is very like consumable level. You know, you know we're transitioning away from like caring about like interesting parts of culture and just more about collectible parts of culture yeah i and mean so d- to kick off the year with like this dead guy stuff and like even before that the um not joyce carol Oates, who who just died play it play it as it lays what's her name play it again sam's no the sporting goods store no um slouching towards bethlehem oh joan didion's estate yeah, sale joan didion um you know, we're getting towards that thing where, like, that's more interesting to culture than, like, you know, a weird secret thing that came up in auction, like, you know, Salvatore Monday or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, Salvatore Monday again sounds like a drag king, not Salvatore Mundi, which is what it actually is. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to put my finger on on what you're getting at here. I mean, I guess like I don't know what. 
First of all, I don't know what it means when people say more interesting to culture. Who is that? I don't know anymore. I think like, you know, I don't I don't think that there is that. I think, you know, I think that basically like it just depends who you're talking about. I think similar to the train derailment and everyone saying like nobody's talking about this. What they mean. Let me finish. finish. What they mean is that the mainstream institutional outlets are under discussing this. They're not not talking about it. They're just not talking about it as much as they should. Right. What is it that where does that should come from? In the case of an environmental disaster, it's obvious that like the the optics and the effects of this are probably pretty bad and. We should maybe spend some time talking about who's responsible. Right. But th- what th- what people mean when they say no one is talking about it, even though everyone's talking about it, is they mean institutions that we used to rely on as like primary sources of information a- have abdicated their responsibility. I think when to people talk some ab- semblance of a monoculture. Uh no, I think really? that I think that they do try to manufacture a monoculture. It's just that that isn't successful because nobody experiences that. You the, the the reason for these kind of institutional failures, especially in terms of media outlets, is that they continue to try to manufacture a monoculture when that's not possible. Right. And rather than use their institutional like authority and credibility to like represent a, a diverse range of viewpoints, this is very ironic. They use it to force on you a message which nobody wants. Right. Which is ironically about diversity, usually. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, that's all falling apart. So I think when we talk about culture, we have to address it on the same level. So when you say like this or that is more interesting to culture, what that could mean in a different conversation would be institutions or mainstream media. Oh. So what's interesting to people on the Internet is probably these like collectible auctions of like known people, um, partly because if you're a middle brow person with a relatively wide breadth of knowledge and a very limited depth of knowledge about anything something like the novel bits of in a a celebrity's life are going to be more accessible to you than something like a leonardo da vinci quote-unquote lost painting because that might take knowing something about a very particular thing in depth to appreciate right so even though that Salvador Mundi discovery and auction might be in some ways like more important, it's a lot less vital. Right. The thing that yeah. feels vital to people is David Foster Wallace's notebooks or Joan Didion's sweater Sunglasses, collection. Yeah. Because you, if you're a dumbass, you can appreciate a bunch of fucking books or sweaters knickknacks or, and bullshit. Knickknacks yeah. and bullshit. It, it's this like cultural f- title of that. Knickknacks and bullshit. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's this leveling effect that uh, when you when you forcibly when you forcibly try to mandate that no one be allowed to judge anything anymore, standards of taste get leveled to the middle. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. And when there's no and and when institutions have abdicated their authority to like make these kind of determinations, um, and they just try to force like arbitrary uh frameworks on people the buckshot don't jive with their lived experience um nobody knows what to think anymore and you just you just sort of resort to the middle i think that happens a lot Hmm. you know like i i've been um i'm trying to write this thing because manhattan art review is starting a periodical Mm -hmm. manhattan art journal you want to want to take out an ad for 20 bucks yeah we could totally do that um but they, they they are accepting submissions for reviews of oh, okay. relatively recent shows and obviously of the Olitsky catalog sitting out for a reason. I've been kind of working on this piece about that show and about Jules Olitsky more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, my argument or my contention is basically that like the critical understanding of Olitsky and his career um, has really boxed in a really interesting artist into a narrative that was always a historical in the first place, yeah. out of convenience. Yeah, and that Olitsky's um, project, at least in part, as I understand it, was more about pushing around the boundaries of taste um, through materials, and I think that could be like an interesting way hmm. in which to look at like contemporary art rather than assume that everything that makes it to market is of quality, maybe we should look on the fringes for uh, people that um, fall outside of a clearly defined narrative and actually push boundaries of taste, not in ways that you would expect, but in in their actual process. 
not hmm. in not in their um imagery not in their politics but in their method or in their antithesis of taste i think is maybe a you know useful thing well the what the, the you know what i'm trying to talk out right now and 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 write out on the side is like what does this issue of taste even mean to like to me intuitively that 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 matters a lot but that has been such a uh, day class a like way of talking about anything for so long that i think like it's difficult to even define what you mean by that like i think when you know people in the 20th century talked about their eye or their taste in terms of viewing art like everybody basically agreed on what that meant which was um connoisseurs and critics kind of got to have field day the last say in terms of like what art was important or not and you trusted like certain people's eyes and everybody agreed that the judgments of informed people did add up to a kind of consensus but in a in a culture without consensus where do you start with the question of judgment and taste right you kind of can't you can't assume that there's a singular version of that which like broad spectrum applies to everyone but I think that those of us with some sort of like living memory of a time before this like lateral flattening of all uh, all thought down to the mid can still like agree that there are things that are better or worse than other things. Right. You don't have to have general appreciation. No, you don't. In fact, I, you might not want to have that. I mean, you know, like I I like the idea of like, you know, in my youth I was not the most, you know catholic a viewer of things right you know like i'd be like nope don't want to even see it fuck that window shop it and keep on pumping you know but then you're just like eh, maybe i'll look at it sometimes you're just bored and you're like well it's in front of me like we're here you know a lot of it is just like well we're here um doesn't mean again doesn't mean that's good you're giving it the opportunity to be good but you're not going to say like, oh, yeah, you saw, oh, yeah, you didn't think it was fine. No, nothing should be fine. Right. Sandwiches are fine. Yes. Yeah. I don't want cultural products to be fine. Yeah, couldn't agree I more. I don't that. want things that exist in the world that are discursive to be fine. They should be dramatic. They should be, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? You know, you want to argue about it? discursive there's another contentious word. contentious uh, yeah. that's the word that i wanted to use um you know they should be something that you can have a, like a tit for tat about you can't just be like eh, yeah, it's fine. you know again it's just like we're talking about toast yeah we, we talking sushi like what oh it's fine eh, i don't have i don't have the um mental fortitude to accept fine as a you know continued state of being like you know the dog with the fire of this is fine yeah and everyone is like this is fine like you know it's a very neolib kind of you know meme picture right right where it's like it's it's fine but it's on fire i'm like yeah but you do that every day so like what the fuck are you gonna like actually like react and i think there's a numbing effect to the anti-taste thought paradigm that is I don't know. It's the well-butern of the soul. I don't quite get it. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's really well put. I would agree with that completely. I mean, when when everything is fine, why don't we just transcribe this podcast and send it to Sean? <laughs> I don't know if that'd be very interesting reading because it's not that interesting of listening. Well, you gotta you gotta edit that. the you gotta edit the ums and the stupids out. You know, it's fine. Mm. Um, I mean, I think when everything is fine, that's why novelty ends up taking the place of actual like genuinely like deep and interesting things that's why a collection of tchotchkes becomes more like broadly appreciated than a singular like masterpiece painting right yeah it's just novelty because it's like dangling string in front of a cat you know the cat's on fire and you're like come over here and yeah you, we can look at our sweater collection now yeah and everyone's distracted for like a day and things just kind of move on yeah i mean you know in in doing my research for this, I've been reading a lot. I've I've found like a lot of interesting, um, buried like academic websites and like archives and stuff that just have these cool like records of a discourse that 
is invisible today, but there was a Greenberg lecture in the early 80s at some college, and the lecture is about taste and discernment, and, you know, Greenberg kind of, like, um, making an effort to admit his own mistakes in, in terms of his past work, where he says, like, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstood when I meant what I meant when I was talking about taste in my youth because I stated things declaratively, assuming that an audience would understand that I'm not the word of God and that, like, this is just one opinion. <sighs> but now people have taken that and run with it and made me, like, the arbiter of everything that is never what I meant. So it's this sort of mea culpa about, like, I could have been more careful the way I approached these things. But when you have the fire of a young man's yeah. heart, you know, like, of course, like, also, like, you think that man didn't have... You know, it's not really a mea culpa. It's still his ego. Yeah, of course. Speaking, I mean, shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, at the end of the day, like, do you have to apologize for your bravura? No, he doesn't apologize for it. But the important point that he's making is that, like, being careful with your words is part of the game, you know, and that he wishes that he had been more careful so that his point could be better understood. He doesn't ever say my my points were wrong. He's right. like I still one hundred. I stand by it, but I could have phrased it a little better. Yeah, and you so know. this this lecture on taste is delivered like with that under undertone, and one of the things he says in it that I think is really true and interesting is that uh, one of the best things about developing your taste is that um, it simultaneously gets more specific and less Catholic, but it expands. And he yeah. uses the example of, like, I went to Japan, and I liked the idea that because of my training in Western art and the taste that I developed around, like, what it was like to look at paintings, I actually agreed with almost all of the, like, Japanese people that I met about what was good and what wasn't, even though I had no familiarity with that art at all. Like, taste can actually, like, bridge language gaps yeah. because it, it precedes language um, and, and exists, like... Um, parallel to the art that you're looking at and you know the points that you're trying to make or whatever yet yeah. can can be shared universally like um there's there's not that many things in the world that simultaneously get more and less catholic like maybe they get more catholic in terms of what you'll um be interested in looking at but they get less catholic in terms of what you think is good and those are two different things yeah, that's a lost art, and I very much feel like that tracks with my experience. I'm like very attracted to that idea because I do think as I've gotten older, like, but like think about, I don't it, think anything's boring. Think though. about like you know, you know, use Europe as an example. Like think about it, think about the rooms that things are in. You know, when you have a slush table, you know. Yeah, I guess. Like, there's a room in the Louvre where it's like big, giant paintings, but they're kind of bad. They're like bad pintormos, you know. Mm -hmm. And you're like, they're big. They're nothing. And they're like, yeah, it's the hallway in between, you know, the Poussin and like the Chardin. Like, we got to get you through here, okay? And they're in there. Right. And everyone agrees. Like, we're not looking at it. Well, but if you even take a step back from. If you even just take a step back from that story and you think about that for like five seconds longer, you're like, okay, why is it that everybody agrees on that? Why is it that things are positioned in rooms in such a way that like. Um, pass-through zones are obvious and not pass-through zones are obvious. And, like, I, I don't know. Like, the paintings in those rooms are probably really interesting. It's just that there's not enough time in the day if you don't live in Paris to dwell on things that um, might be interesting. Hmm. I want to see the things that I'm almost positive I'm are going to be interesting. You know, it's the, you're going to have, you know, you're going to like the way you look, you guarantee it kind yeah, of thing. Like, yeah. I don't know, you, you're going to get to that one, but you got to walk through the stupid hallway oh, of the God. giant bullshit over here, okay? Yeah, yeah. The, the Louvre is the men's warehouse of Europe. Um, Some rooms. But, you know, like, but that doesn't say anything about the particular quality of a painting, you know? Like, this is, this is the... This is another point that I'm aping from Greenberg that I think is absolutely true. Like, when you're evaluating art, you can only look at one thing at a time. So, the... Not true. The oh, I think that's absolutely true. I think the oh, I, you don't I think, think you can look at a wall and then be like, "We're telling a story." Like this is a Quaitman kind of thing. Like you got to be able to like understand the story of the chapter. Well, right? I would argue that in that case, you're looking at the wall as its own entity and its own gestalt, which is fine. But I don't think then that you can evaluate the paintings within the scene. You can talk about the exhibition design. 
which is not something mm, that yeah, I think is talking about art. I think you're talking. Yeah. Ab- I think you're talking about like a professional industry that is um, adjacent to and supports art, but that is a lot less important than things it contains. You know, it's like talking about the container something's in. Like you can talk about packaging design all day. It's an interesting field. Yeah, I in love its, the container store in its own right, but it's not the it's figure. Not the, it's not the stuff in not the containers. The yeah. So when you're talking about the things. You can only talk about one thing at a time, and in that case, if you if you accept that premise, um, it almost doesn't matter where where you are hmm. when you're looking at a work of art. It doesn't make any difference, really. Well, it it does matter because if you think about like the you know if you think contextually about the room that something is in, like what what's lost in the way that people operate in terms of viewing paintings is just in that like endless doom scroll. So you're looking at like. Even like an install shot, like of a gallery thing, you're like, I can't see what the fuck, what, what is that? I can't even like the scale. What, like, I, I like the idea of like using the Magella Brew orchard space as like a, a space thing because it's got the tile floors, and you're like, oh, that's about that size, you know, like that's nice. I, I like that as a, a thing, but you're like, mm, it's still too small. It's small room, can't really see the whole thing. Like, we're yeah, but so again, we're I'm... so trained to see things in that scroll space where like positioning in a room like eh, doesn't matter a uh, very little i, I no. mean i mean I, I have to stick to my guns on this one i think i think again like when you're it saying informs the how you react to things though i don't agree i actually just don't i i actually just don't think that matches with my experience like most of the time i think this is a very pomo thing that's been driven into everybody's heads through like arts education that you can't possibly like divorce your experience of one object from the objects around it. But I think you absolutely can do that. And I think that that all that requires is like attention and focus. And just because most people don't have that anymore doesn't mean that that's not a virtue. To, well, no, to circle you back know. to, you know, a couple minutes before, like if you have some sem- semblance of taste in a, point of view like you know what the banger is as soon as you walk in the door and you're like no one cares about this shit don't know why you're here like this one is the star of the show you guys are fluffers like everybody get out of the way you know in a room full of bangers it gets hard you're like am i is this a whole kind of thing is this an entire installed experience like when you're looking at um uh Bader meinhof when moma decides they're sure they're having a moment and they're like we're feeling it and you're like Thank you for dusting these off. I appreciate you. Or the, even a squeegee room, whatever. Who fucking cares? Right. But like when Bader Meinhof is out, you're like, sick. Like it puts you in a mind space for viewing things in context of why is this thing sure. here? You know, like, and it does get very effective, especially, you know, when you have banger of that level, right? Why am I calling them bangers? Because I'm old. Um, but when you have mid shit, you're like, it's fine together, I guess. Like you can't like, you can't take, you can't MacGyver interest out of context which i will no. i will agree with you on yeah that point, yeah right fair enough like yeah, I, you can't. like you have to have some sparks otherwise there's nothing like there needs to be two pieces of flint in a room in order for that idea that postmodern compare contrast idea to light up and if what we see in a lot of i mean a lot of group shows are just mid as fuck right all right i think of forever then yeah <laughs> you know yeah. can you can, i can't and I have that psychotic memory. I can walk through a show and know where things are. I can't do it with that show. I can do it with de Kooning, And that was farther back than that. Right. Do you know how uh, insane it is that I'm know, like, I don't fucking know. I think it's neither here nor there. But I can remember I can remember parts of that. But it's like very vague. And also, that's this is not a thing that I track. But like to, to the substantive point, I would, I would agree with you that like basically... There is such a thing as installation art, whether you're talking about a series of paintings or like a yeah, room type well. of environment where like the um, the sum is the art and the parts are not. But I would offer that you must, the spark that you're talking about, the flints clicking together, either way, it starts with the parts. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to start focusing on the bigger thing automatically, which is what I think a lot of curators would ask you to do and that's purely a self-serving that's thing hubris. yeah so no. that an invented job that by the way doesn't need to exist gains credibility exists. not really they're supposed to take care of things and and part of taking care of things is taking care of the context that they're in you know i think the i think the term curator is like probably a relatively new term 
I don't I don't think that that existed before. Yeah. I think when we talk about like okay. Alfred Barr as like the founder of the Museum of Modern Art or whatever, he didn't call himself a curator. Yeah, he was. That's not what he talked. To. Those are not the terms that people talked in, at all. Mm. Yeah, he was the founder of a place. No, you know, no, he wasn't. Yeah, I, no, I don't think people talked in terms of curation until pretty recently. And I think that the uh, obvious answer to that is that that's just a manufactured well, in, position. I mean, in the true contemporary, Barr is a different. Nor the time, nor the energy to do that. Um, but like you know, we got a lot of people who like spent a lot of money at Bard, and they got a, they got a lot of justification to do for how much they fucking spent, and they're gonna do a lot of hoops and bullshit to make sure that, you know, mommy and daddy feel like they got their money's worth. You know, right? It's like, well, you're only making like eighty k at MoMA or some regional museum. I don't know what the fuck you need. Um, you don't need the salary; you need the clout. Yeah, and are they gonna get the clout? A lot of them probably will. I mean, they have to work to inherit the money. Oh, they have to work until they marry rich. It's different. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, but uh, look, I'm not trying to deny that cura- curatorial practice can't be done well and right. with good intention. It obviously can. It just mostly isn't. A lot of people are just slapping shit together and going like, "It's a show." And I mean, to return to the point of taste, I think it really sticks in my craw that you have like an entire like basically pmc category who won't even touch the idea of who taste. won't touch the idea of taste when that is supposed to be their job well curating a show is about your taste being a curator is just like truly just like i have to care for these items i have to care about the framing care about the physicality of them like this is the root of it right should be yeah it is the it is the intent intended root of that role how it, it gets you know misappropriated or misdirected is a contemporary thing that I don't fucking know. You know, I can't really deal with how those people. Well, no, I mean, I think you can. Ju- I think you can just look at what they say about themselves. Is that most of the time, like the role of a curator is to pump up the uh, importance of art in terms of its like uh, social implications, whether that's political uh, in any number of dimensions, activist, uh, public health, like. They, they step way outside the bounds of art. I forget where I heard this, but it was in doing my research for this article. Like, somebody said, like, when you look at art... Oh, you know what? Oh, maybe I'll get to this on the after show because we're running out of time. It's actually from a YouTube channel that I discovered that I really, really like. Um, but they said, the freedom from art actually comes from accepting its complete and total uselessness. No shit. If you're the type of person that, like, looks at art and thinks it's important... My friend, you've entirely missed the point. Lost in the sauce. Yeah. And I think that the self-importance is what we've been talking about in terms of curators the whole time. And like the problem I have in general with starting with the world and then looking at art, you start with the art and then it informs the world. I would always say you have It informs you and then you you move about the cabin. Well, regardless, uh, yeah. But you start with one thing. Yeah. One thing at a time, and then you proceed logically from there to make conclusions about other stuff. It's not the fucking salon, and we're not going, oh, a scandal painting, it's going to you know, change the world. We don't do that anymore. Well, but I think the point, we've been also just talking about taste, right? right. Like, the only way to develop taste and justify taste as, like, a strategy for uh, making art, viewing art, and presenting art is to start with one thing at a time. Baby steps. Yeah. And then the expansion that you experience that's really gratifying over the course of a lifetime has to do with these baby steps. It's very, very incremental. The idea that you're going to like throw a Whitney biennial that's like, Black Lives Matter, and then that you like made a difference is insane. And conversely, or inversely, like the idea that you could take a single painter out of a show because they did a wrong thing and also have changed the world is equally as retarded. Like... None of this stuff makes any sense. If you show it Sycama, you're not going to change the world. I'm sorry, baby. Mm. Yeah. That's not specific at one. There's like 17 Mm -hmm. there, so it's not really, yeah. It's not that mean. Yeah. I mean, just also the, the, I don't know, the palpable irony of having your cause like taken advantage of so that rich people can get richer is weird. Well, nobody, normally it's nobody's your, ready for that. Normally, it's your cause, KWAS, getting taken advantage mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. in the market. But you know, that's more fun. It, wasn't there an OnlyFans person that used a cause as a dildo? Maybe that was Caroline Calloway. 
I'm pretty what? sure that that happened. I think somebody. All I know is someone just recently put pasta in flesh jacks and fucked them. And tried what's to... a flesh jack? Fleshlight? Yeah. Oh, you call it a flesh jack? There's... Is that the gay version? No, there's two warring companies. Really, flesh jack and fleshlight. So now we know which one you're aligned with. I don't buy those things. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, no. If there's a gay man out there that has a flashlight, you're really doing it wrong. It seems like you have human flashlights available at the tap of a finger. You severely underestimate <laughs> the horniness of all gay men. Oh, really? They're jacking it a lot, too? I feel like sh- jacking it's for straight men. Th- all right, we got to go to the after this show. This is after show behavior. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Speaking of, give us your money. I'll see none of it. The so. community grows. Yeah. I don't see any of it either. You realize that I've been paying the hosting fees for this show for nigh on three years. I don't judge your life choices. So, As I take a long <laughs> sip out of my wet glass. All right. I have, I have a song for the after shows. We got to move on to All that. All right. Let's move on.